welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and Institutes of Children's Ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's episode of the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast. I'm Sean McKinley, your host, and joining me is my co-host, Joy Hensley. Hey, Joy, how are you? I'm doing great. So excited to be back on another podcast. I know. We have had a series of really exciting topics that we've been discussing. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, you did the last one without me. I know. That happens when you leave. (laughs) I know. When I... When I travel and go away, you have to handle things on your own, and you did a great job. So why don't you just sort of recap for everyone what happened last month, because it's the beginning of this series. This will be episode two in this series, so tell us about it. So we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines, and last month we were with Bishop Duke Stone, and he shared about the importance of reading and studying scripture. And I know we had a conversation when you got back into town, and I just went on and on about how great it was, um, all of the notes I took, and just was able to glean from it. And so I I feel like personally it was one of the best podcasts that we've done. Yeah, and if folks didn't give it a listen, we invite them to go back to last month's episode, Mm -hmm. download the show notes, and, and enjoy all of that great material from from Duke. So, um... Actually, this series sprang from the Institute of Children's Ministry this last November. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't really been able to share on a podcast, but I really kind of felt a burden that we needed to add a track to ICM where we discuss the spiritual disciplines and how they can connect to those of us who serve kids in the church. Um, I have said before, I said on an earlier podcast that, um, you know, a lot of people say you can't really lead someone that you've never been yourself. And... I have trouble with that because in our, the own history of our organization, there have been experiences like Holy Spirit baptism that I know people preached about before they actually experienced it themselves. But I also feel like that a lot of these areas that uh, we want to grow in in our personal walk with the Lord help us to lead our kids in them when we do experience them. So, um, so we had such a positive feedback at ICM. We wanted to bring some of those presenters on to share with us. Mm-hmm. And this month, uh, we are so excited to welcome Dr. Kathy Payne. Hey, Kathy. Hey. Thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, before we jump into the topic, I need to make sure everybody knows who this incredible lady is, right? It's hard to imagine some people I don't know. know who Dr. Kathy Payne is, but we'll share just a few highlights about her ministry. Uh, of course, I've been blessed to know, have known Kathy for now 20 years. Uh, serving here at the offices and been around and watched her ministry. It's just incredible. But uh, Kathy has been involved, I hope she doesn't mind me telling everyone, involved in evangelistic and mission support ministry for more than 45 years. Scary to think that, isn't it? That is incredible. Uh, She served as a full-time evangelist uh, with her husband, John, early in their ministry. And then they transitioned uh, in California to pastor and serve in state leadership here in the Church of God of Prophecy. Uh, In 1993, Kathy transitioned to Cleveland to serve for 19 years 
as International Director of Women's Ministries. Correct. And although I wasn't at many women's ministry events, <laughs> the ones I did go to were incredible and awesome. I know you have some great memories of that, Absolutely. that ministry. So uh, Kathy is currently serving, I believe, in her 10th year. Uh, coordinating global missions and ministries here for the Church of God of Prophecy internationally. This involves working uh, with the with the mission um, ministries, with our global network, and she has traveled to more than 100 nations of the world. Um, Kathy completed her postgraduate work on a Master's of Divinity from the Pentecostal Theological Seminary, and she's earned a Doctorate of Ministry from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in South Ham- Hamilton, Massachusetts. Uh, Kathy and John have one son, Chris, who is a pastor, their daughter-in-law, Amber, and they have three grandsons, Alex, Caden, and Jonathan, and two twin granddaughters, Mm -hmm. Ashley and Aubrey, who we might be talking about all them in just a few (laughs) minutes. So again, welcome, Kathy. Thanks for being with us. It's a joy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and you came, I believe that ICM was your first institute to be with us. Is that correct? Uh, it was my first institute to teach and be part of the staff, okay. yes. Okay. I had been to several of them, of course, when they were in Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was so good to be Kathy there. Kathy joined our staff, and we heard so many wonderful things about your workshop. Now, at ICM, you taught on the necessity of fellowship and community. I think that was something maybe new for you to teach on. Is that yes. correct? Yes, yes. You assigned that to That's me. That's right. <laughs> I did. And I, I, I was, uh, Joy mentioned uh, Duke's class there and I was in his class and my mother and I both went in that and it was absolutely fabulous yeah so yeah it was a great it was a great weekend I felt like the um, very positive very encouraging um, giving resources to leaders that are actively engaged in ministering to children as, as well as other facets of ministry. Sure, sure. Well, thanks again for being a part of that. Uh, and, you know, I think we did not anticipate it, but the Spiritual Disciplines track was the most popular track we had. Yay, the best raving workshops. Yeah, yeah so, so that's why we really wanted to bring people on, uh, such as Kathy here, to share with us. So, so, Kathy, we like to start our podcast out when we have a guest, um, sort of in the same way. So would you tell us a little bit about uh, how you experienced or received your call to ministry and how it's brought you here today? I, I think I can. I, I, I guess most people have like a big epiphany of this encounter that changed their life forever, and I really didn't have one of those. Uh, as a small child, I can remember dreaming, having dreams um, of being in a pulpit or uh, teaching, even actually traveling. Even when I was a little child, I dreamed things that my mom would have to explain to me later in the mornings when I would wake up and I would say, does the moon turn to blood? And she just passed, you know, so it was it was those mm-hmm. kind of things. I was teaching a Sunday school class. It's hard for me to even believe this now, but I think I was about eight or nine years old. I was teaching the toddlers, you know, mm-hmm. even in my local church. Not because we didn't have leadership to do it or even maybe that wanted to do it. Um, I I was blessed to come up in a church that recognized uh, God's calling. So even when I might not have known what God was doing, He was putting people in my way or coming alongside of me that was leading me to 
uh, a ministry track even when I wasn't aware of it. Mm. And I remember even as, uh, I think I was about seven or eight years old, a friend of my mother's one year for um, Christmas bought me a suitcase, a hard side, Samsonite luggage, piece of luggage, pretty good sized luggage. And I looked at it, it was interesting to me to see this. And she said to me, um, one day you're going to go all around the world and I want to be part of the investment. I was seven or eight years old, you know, but so I didn't have this real epiphany of um, I, I taught, it was, uh, I became the youth leader when I was 12, when I was old enough, and we had adults in that youth group, but I was the one that began leading. And uh, so it was kind of a, a, a soft entry into maybe the Lord knew that's how it would have to be for me. I, John and I was traveling. We traveled probably eight years in one-night services. And at the end of a singing, we John's an incredible minister of music, mm-hmm. and he let me accompany him. <laughs> Not near as experienced or good as he was. but uh, And then at the end, I'd give a short 10 or 15-minute testimony is what I called them. And I had a lot of pastors say, you can call it what you want to, but you're preaching. I'd say, actually, I'm testifying of what I've seen God do. And and they would say, yeah, that's called preaching. So it took a long time for me to actually say that the Lord had called me into preaching. Um, Fourth generation. I I think there were some walls there that I didn't want to tab down. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like a gentle leading of the Holy Spirit that brought me into a place of leadership. And that's how it was when we went into evangelism it's how we went into pastoring I John and I never felt a call to pastor but a leader came alongside of us and said I, I don't care what you call it I need you to be in this place as well as in my state and the Lord just kind of positioned us there and helped us survive and he he did great stuff while we were there and then when we came to Cleveland it was it was real similar yeah well, I love that. We teach in children's ministry. One of the ways that you uh, find that calling is just to see a need and to mm-hmm. fulfill the need. Yes. And as those needs uh, make themselves aware, you know, we, we kind of step into what it is, God. And it sounds very much like your, like how you've experienced As well as having people there that recognize. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost as important mm-hmm. as seeing the need and feeling it. But having people that recognize God has positioned you for a certain thing for a season, Mm -hmm. and they come alongside and help you enter that with courage, even imperfectly, Mm -hmm. even knowing that you're going to make huge mistakes. Yeah, sure. uh, And yet are there to be with you and come alongside. And um, we had an incredible children's ministry in our church. Mm -hmm. So, what, uh, in all of your experiences, what would you say has been the most fulfilling? ministry that you've been a part of or that you've enjoyed the most? Um, I think this is going to be probably not the answer you're looking for. I think being a mother was one of the greatest and sweetest fulfilling ministries Mm. that I had the privilege. Mm -hmm. We wanted more children. We were going to have bunches. I had miscarriages. We lost three. Um, 
So I think that that was a really sweet part of ministry. That's probably not what you're looking for. No, that's great. But that was one of the sweetest parts of ministry that the Lord allowed us. And then probably our ministry of the homeless when we pastored in Bakersfield was another one of those um, where you have that understanding that someone needs you to be a mother in a sense, mm. someone to come along, encourage them, actually feed them. We were never able to um, take care of them and put them in places where they could live, but we always gave them, we filled their belly, we helped them, we encouraged them, they came alongside, sat in the grass with them, cried with them, prayed with them, believed with them, uh, went to more hospitals than I thought I'd ever do with this crowd of street people. And uh, it's a sweet ministry, and then probably the youth ministry that mm. I did. All of it's been sweet. I know. I know. All of it has just been. And we so could talk sweet. all day about all your adventures because you've had a lot. <laughs> I can tell a lot of stories. Sorry. <laughs> and I love the. I Don't love that you started. shared about uh, how you would just share testimonies because that's one of the things that I, uh, at least in uh, amongst the peers here, that's one of the things that. Uh, sets your ministry apart is your gift to really mm-hmm. tell those stories and to communicate but that's not why we're here today however <laughs> I will mention this um, Jesus preached uh-huh. he told stories more yeah. than he preached mm-hmm. and I love that about him mm-hmm. and perhaps that is one of the reasons that I enjoy telling them so much mm-hmm. because I he, he pulled it together for us yeah through the use of storytelling. Sure. We, we definitely recognize that in children's ministry. We love that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, today okay. we're going to talk about sort of these disciplines of fellowship and community. When I asked you to speak on this, um, I was genuinely interested in it myself. Mm-hmm. It's not a spiritual It's not a spiritual discipline that we recognize so readily in That's the church. That's so important. Yeah. So before we really jump into to this with our questions, um, we kind of have these two ideas of fellowship and community. So, you know, what exactly is fellowship? What exactly is community? And how do they overlap or differ in your mind? Uh, from what I studied and what I read, uh, it's a very simple differentiation. Community seems to be the space where there are like-minded people, you're grouped together, you're living together, you're worshiping together, or you have some project that you're doing together. And so the community is the space, and fellowship seems to be what happens in that safe space, in that community. It's um, one of the things we discussed in the class very quickly, because I don't like to spend a lot of time in it, is even the gang culture. You know, people are so desperate for fellowship that they are willing to go to any means to be a part of a community, Hmm. to be a part of things. And so it really is quite a need in life to be part of a a space where Hmm. you are part, you are recognized part of it. And then the fellowship is more of a a connectedness, an interaction where um, within the community where you connect with people and have relationship Mm -hmm. that's the simple yeah so as we were just sharing fellowship and community they're not commonly thought of when we think of spiritual disciplines we tend to think of prayer and fasting and reading the word so we wanted to ask could you start off by sharing a little bit of a biblical foundation on why it is a necessity 
And I love this. Um, I, I love that you asked this question because that is really where I started the formation when I did the class. And it started in the garden, you know, in that passage in Genesis um, where it says God came in the cool mm-hmm. of the day. So there was a planned space, a planned time of community. Mm-hmm. And in that community, they had fellowship. And so uh, we would not perhaps have learned this caveat of understanding if indeed they had not fallen and we find that he came in the cool in the day which was his practice it was what and he wondered why he knew where they were but he asked the question where are you Hmm. he knew where they were but they weren't where they were supposed to be and so we find this um, place where God came to be in Fellowship and community with uh, his created uh, beings, and how precious that was, how sweet that was, how there was a communion. I, I learned when we were pastoring the church and we did an Easter cantata with the children that communion is just common union, and um, that he came in the cool of the day. He was not. He did not intend himself to be part of our lives. This this cool of the day, this experience that we. Have, we can glance through scripture and see it. Uh, we were to have our life in him. He, he is our community. And then this fellowship, uh, then that was breached as they were disobedient. And, um, but I think about, I, I read a quote from Billy Graham. I'm not going to use the quote exactly. But he talked about how he created man with a free will. And then part of that free will was to want to make his being in fellowship with um, in, in fellowship with God, and that disobedience brought the failure. And um, until the fall, we find the sweetness of fellowship with God and man. Um, and so the garden experience is not the only example that we have, especially specifically in the Old Testament. Uh, this passage when, uh, I think it's in Exodus 32 and 33, when God speaks to Moses and they're on this in this crisis. I think it's interesting that it's always in crisis that we find ourselves saying, <laughs> show me our glory! I need to see something! And, and this thing that God says to Moses is so precious. You you can't handle my glory. You, you could not continue to live in mm-hmm. earth if you could see me as I am. But I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put you in this really safe place and then I'm going to pass by and reveal just my back to you and uh, you'll be able to live with that and that is that sweet that sweet communion that he opens to each of us he defined it as a secret place but he gave us directions on how to get there so it's not a secret place from us it's a secret place that we have with him and that fellowship. Mm. And then if you go earlier in that Exodus uh, experience, I think it's around the 20th chapter, it's one of the times Moses has been in fellowship with God and his, his face is shining and there's been lightnings and thunderings and God says to the people, come, come into my presence. This is what I designed you for, that common union, that fellowship in me. And the people were terrified. And they said to Moses, no, <laughs> we don't want to go there. It's too frightening for us. He's, he's too awesome. You keep going. And I think it's so interesting that Moses, when, even when the shine ceased to be, uh, he kept covering his face because he, mm. wanted, 
he wanted everybody to believe that that's how he lived every, every day in the kind of fellowship that is, his face glowed. But God had said, I, w- I want you to come. I want you to know me. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. And this is the fellowship that I've designed you for. But they were afraid. And I think we also are the same. We have the same kind of fears of, of he's so awesome. And, and we've, we've made that word a pitiful word because he's so full of honor. But that was, that was kind of that foundation that he continues to draw us in. I have a place tucked just for you mm-hmm. under my wings come, as 91 says. But. So outside of the biblical understanding, what are some benefits of having a faith community and people to be in fellowship with regularly? Um, I think that I, I love the part, I love the question, but I don't think there's anything outside <laughs> biblical. I think, you know, one of the benefits, of course, is uh, something that I enjoy so much, and that's that leave and cleave, you know, that God mm-hmm. gives us and that sweet fellowship that we have in the, the experience of relationship and marriage and how you take these two very imperfect beings that are always going to be imperfect with needs that are rarely the same. But by pulling into this fellowship and having this relationship, they perfect each other, they complete each other, and it's a lifelong fellowship. And, and that is so precious when you look at all the ramifications of that. Of course, we don't have time to look at all the ramifications, but you know, as, as God gave him. I love the fact that God said he looked and saw everything up to that point, he said, had been good, but he saw something that was not good, and that was that the man needed something, someone else, and that relationship. The other relationship that I love from the Old Testament is Proverbs 27 and 17, where God gives this word about iron sharpening iron, and... Um, how it takes good metal to sharpen metal, good iron to sharpen iron, and how he prepares us for fellowship within the context of community. Mm-hmm. The writer of Proverbs notes that in our fellowship with one another, he sharpens us by our fellowship with one another. Um, we excite each other to learn. We sharpen one another. We stir up each other to the exercise, uh, most people won't understand this reference, but when the choir sang yesterday in Upper Room, how fun was that? <laughs> and and you said later, you wrote an email saying, what a perfect experience we had this morning in Upper Room. It was because we had that interaction with one another. Mm-hmm. We were created to be together. And th- that benefit of sharpening one another, exciting one another, allowing the gifts to rise up, to bless one another, um, to love one another, to provoke each other to good works. I love that God uses that word, provoke one another unto good works. Uh, Some render the words of this scripture as iron delights in iron. So man rejoices in the countenance of his friend. So this sense of fellowship within the context of community uh, would also be seen in the ministry of Christ. Um, I, in preparing for this, I recalled a couple of years ago, one of our general overseers, one of our bishops said that one of the uh, greatest things he thought about the Church of God of Prophecy 
was our fellowship and how much we love to be together. And I think we all have experienced that to some degree that are part of this movement. Um, I, I also think it's interesting, you know, um, over the last couple of years, this idea of community, really, it's a buzzword almost in, mm-hmm. in the Christianity. Um, but our movement, I think, in particular, saw very early on the importance. We had small group ministry before it was a popular thing. And all that. So I think a lot of us know that community fellowship is has a lot of benefits. It's important to our walk together and with the Lord. Um, but for some people, these ideas can be kind of hard. Um, and a lot of that, I think, leans back to any time that you work with people. Or people are involved. There are challenges, <laughs> right? So. Right. What are some of the maybe obstacles or, or hurdles that we face in relation to these this discipline of fellowship and community? I think some of it is that we come from different beginnings. We have different backgrounds. We have different cultures. We even have different languages. Mm-hmm. And so in the context of this community, we are all very different. And so when we become uh, begin to become a part of the whole, we have to compromise the things that we have. It happens in a marriage. It happens in a family. It happens in a community. And so one of the things that I love even from what we see in the disciples, you have this very excitable Peter and this very melancholy John, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you, you read of how I withstood you face to face, you know, and, and how this... Um, whenever there would be this very excitable, even when Jesus came, returned to the disciples and they were out fishing and they see him on the shore and, you know, they think they've been so instrumental in catching fish and they come to the shore and he already had fish. He didn't need their fish. Uh, but Jesus talks with Peter. He, he understands the role that Peter's got to have and very different role than John will ever have, very different role than Paul will have. And he understands this father uh, role that Peter will have. And he goes into this very big, uh, do you love me? And this wonderful uh, conversation that every preacher in the world has ever preached on. And at the end of that, he says, you know, he commits that he's going to give his life for Christ. And Jesus says, you will indeed. And immediately after, Jesus says, yes, you you will be a martyr. His first question is, what about John? <laughs> you know, John going to be a martyr? <laughs> and and I, I love the Lord's answer to that. If, if I choose to let John live forever and never die, that's none of your business. Mm-hmm. And that I think those are the things that are hurdles because we have to give up a piece of who we are to find our place in the body. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be the liver. I want to be somewhere where I can be seen and be... Well, we understand how important the liver is to the body. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it, the fact that we come from such different um, backgrounds and cultures and those kind of things, and then having to give up a part of who we are to find our role mm-hmm. and uh, then submit to that being God's perfect positioning for us. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think those are challenging um, times, and I, I think that it's often hard when, when you know you're a leader, to then know when, as a leader, you need to step back mm-hmm. and let someone else 
that God is gifting at that moment. I, I think one of the lessons, I'm probably commenting too long, um, but I think one of the lessons that I learned about this was when, when I was a real young child and our experimentation with the gift of tongues. That would have been in the 50s and 60s, not in the 20s and 30s, okay? <laughs> um, but I can remember being in services in my church and also more particularly in state conventions when the Holy Spirit would begin to move and there would be message after message after message in tongues and then, you know, response of um, prophetic utterances when that came. And I always wondered why we needed so many of those. Mm-hmm. And I think... To some degree, it was because we were not mature enough to understand that we didn't have to have the word this time. Mm-hmm. That it was someone else's gift, yeah. gift at this moment to give this understanding of what had just been spoken in a heavenly language. And I think that's those are those are really hard lessons. Mm-hmm. But the Lord helps us mm-hmm. gently and with love and a whole lot of grace. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with provocation from somebody else mm. and to good works, <laughs> you know. It's so beautiful when it comes together, though. It is so beautiful when it comes together and when it flows and you know it's flowing. Mm-hmm. And when you see the Holy Spirit so beautifully transform someone that maybe at one point you didn't think was worthy of such a, right. a mm-hmm. thing and mm. how lovely it is. So we're going to talk about children's ministry of course. for a second. And many times, and I can speak to this, we are in a back room or confined to even maybe a separate building than the rest of the church. So isolation can feel very real. Yes. So what are some ways that we can be more intentional to build community in our churches while still fulfilling our callings and our ministry obligations? I think probably to respond to this... um, Excellent, excellent. I, I'm going to have to lean into experience mm-hmm. um, because, I, I, you know, you can read what people say. I think it's really important to incorporate children into the big church yeah. as well as incorporate the big church mm-hmm. into children's ministries. And um, I, I think that there are service-oriented opportunities to do those kind of things. I love things like the back-to-school Efforts where the ministry becomes forefront in touching community. Children and adults are participating in that. I know at Peerless Road, we do a big thing where we do back, we fill backpacks and give to the community. We even, you know, share with some of our local churches that don't do that kind of outreach. Everybody participates in that. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a part of that. We come together. We have our roles. We. Um, appreciate the giftings that we see in children, and children can appreciate the giftings that they see in adults. Those kind of cooperative efforts um, that happens also in the extravaganza at Peerless. I love that extravaganza when the children come together and they've done points, and and the teenagers help them actually shop. So it's these multiple generations where we're working together and we're all on the same page, and it's all to the benefit of the children. The teens are helping the children shop, and then the adults are there to wrap presents and talk to those children and engage those children in conversation. Who's this for? Tell me about your mother. Or tell me about your sister. Why did you get this for your brother as you're wrapping the gifts? Mm-hmm. Those kind of opportunities. I know also at Peerless, uh, again, excuse my use of experience, um, they have adults that 
volunteer for the children's ministries. So on Wednesday night when children are um, memorizing scripture, adults come back there and help them check off and congratulate them and are part of the celebration mm -hmm. of what they've learned. Uh, from my experience of uh, when John and I pastored in Bakersfield, we moved into a church that was not built as a church of God of prophecy. So it was this huge, beautiful, A-frame, glass-walled, um, different denominational church. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't Sunday school classrooms. There was a huge baptism pool in the back um, and um, pastoral study, but there weren't Sunday school classes, and there was not a place for children's ministries. So in California, of course, you purchase um, uh, buildings, like they, they roll them on. I, I hate to say that it's a trailer or a mobile, that kind of facility that have been used as offices and, and they're used as annexes. Mm -hmm. And so we had this, we had a children's um, trailer and, and the church, uh, on the church property, you came from the door and you were protected as you went into the trailer, of course. And one week, someone came and burned that down. And our church was livid. You know, this is an attack against children's ministries. And, and you know, we, we went through this whole process. That When the kids came that Sunday, they were thrilled. They hated that trailer. It was old. It was pitiful. They hated it. And so we got, a, we got a, like a three times bigger mm -hmm. annex that had three rooms, mm -hmm. and the children loved it. And we went in, all the adults went in and uh, prepared it for the children. And so that was a, another engaging mm -hmm. thing. And like three months later, someone came and burned that too. Oh, and it, oh, was wow. this, I, it was this terrifying <laughs> thing of, oh, you know, that stinging devil's trying to... And I do believe that the enemy was part of that. There were also deranged people out there just loving fire. What came as a result of that was a fourplex um, together that had been used in an office in the desert, off in the Mojave Desert, that the government had used. And so we went from this horrible trailer mm -hmm. to this wonderful fellowship hall mm -hmm. that had six classrooms, a kitchen, and a huge fellowship hall. And all of that came by way of insurance. Mm -hmm. And then the children had their whole thing. Joy, so, you had a, a word, I think, in your question, intentional, so that kind of triggered a thought. Um, I think a lot of times with children's ministers, having been there myself, mm -hmm. um, we have to be intentional to try to connect with the church because mm -hmm. by virtue, as you were saying, we're isolated in many ways. So I just wonder, Dr. Payne, do you think, I, I know there's a, probably a, a feeling, sometimes even an expectation that fellowship and community should just sort of happen. Yeah. Do you find that, how do you view that? I mean, do you well, think no, it I think should you just do happen have or to, you have to be digital? I wish it did just happen. Mm -hmm. I do. I wish it did just happen, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Because it's convenient to have the children off somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I think that is, I think that is a spiritual thing that comes from uh, the enemy. I think you do have to be intentional. I think that you can't just bring them in to sing on Sunday morning and let that be your commitment to children's ministries. Yeah. It has to be intentional, and there have to be these kind of things that have to be planned from the pastor, you being the children's ministry being part of, not an inferior role, mm -hmm. 
but an equal role with all the other parts of ministry in the local church. Sure, and I, and I think part of that also points back to the, and one of the reasons I wanted this to be a topic in our track is the value that you place on this discipline. Absolutely. Uh, many of us would not have a problem saying, oh, prayer is important. It should mm-hmm. be a priority. You know, Or fasting is definitely important. Or studying God's Word. But I think sometimes we don't view um, our connection, even if you're even not even in children's ministry, but you're listening today because Dr. Payne's speaking. Uh, and you want to hear what she has oh, that's to say. That's so sweet of you. I know. Uh, there are some of them listening, I promise. Uh, but I think we all have to acknowledge that maybe we don't value this as much as we should. That being a part, especially now, it's hard to believe coming through the last 18 months, there are those of us who might say, Fellowship is not that important because uh, having had it removed from us, for many of us, we realize, boy, being a part of my church community is so So important. important. And yet still, I think there are still people who are having that tension of getting back, Mm -hmm. reconnecting. There are some people who are definitely in virtual environments still and and struggling. So tough. So So tough. I think the more intentional opportunities we provide the more natural it becomes too Mm -hmm. so when we create those like for example we have this family at church and I was just kind of blown away we had Thanksgiving not too long ago and they were sharing with me afterwards how another family just invited them over for Thanksgiving at their house and it it almost shocked me a little bit but also I was like you know that's great that we've hopefully created that type of environment where they can just have that fellowship and community where they can sit down and eat a meal together with someone who families look completely different from one another yeah so sure so yeah just creating the space for that um we also though want to talk about how we help kids and as a mother and grandmother kathy um we want for you to share a little bit about why you think that kids should learn and practice this discipline from an early age um i know from my own experience joy i we had a we had in those days in what my son calls the gray days you know, when there was no color in the earth and people moved very fast um, when he was a small child. I, we had cleaner band. Mm-hmm. And it was um, a training arm. And in my local church growing up, cleaner band was as important in the local church as the altar call was on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they had it an hour. You had an hour before service began on Sunday nights, and parents came and brought their children to Gleaner Band before service, and they sat out in the sanctuary while we were having Gleaner Band in, in a small room in the back of the church, mm-hmm. but it was, so, it was such an important part of our church. So I have only recently, and when I say recently in the last 30 years, come to understand that there were some places that did not understand the value Mm -hmm. and the importance of this fellowship among our children. In recent days, we've had a couple of grandchildren who have, it's a great question, it's, um, we've had a couple of grandchildren come and spend time with us uh, going to school, Mm -hmm. and so becoming part of the fellowship of a new church Mm -hmm. is very difficult, Mm -hmm. and I've seen the loneliness in my grandchildren when they're not part of what's happening. You know, when there's not a friend that's waiting for them mm-hmm. and saving a chair for them because they know they're coming. And it's painful. It's extremely painful. And we must do better at this. Mm-hmm. 
we must do better. I think about these children in communities um, where their their parents don't bring them to church, mm -hmm. and so they're not part of the give and flow of the local church. And um, how even in the service they're isolated because their family doesn't come. They're out of the norm. These community children that we outreach for, and I think um, I think we must we must do better about this. There's kind of a phenomenon out there happening right now um, that I know Joy and I have talked about. Uh, this a phrase which we heard it at ICM that the rise of the culture of alone but together. Yeah. And that we're all kind of the more connected it seems like we become. The more isolated, the more we, isolated are from one we are, and I do think that that has crept into many congregations and churches, uh, and perhaps even in the return. Um, some of that has to do the return from COVID, because even though we're in the same room together, we're keeping our distance. We you are, know? and and so I think that that's. Um, we're also giving preference, Sean, mm -hmm. and I see that happening. Oh, you're okay. You don't have to put on your mask. I know. Mm -hmm. I know you. Mm -hmm. But we 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 give preference sometimes to that mm -hmm. because of this isolation and actually fear yeah. that we're coming out of. Yeah. And you're right. It it's um, it can it's devastating. But we also know, you know, just in the news this week, there's been a lot of coverage about the effects of this time on our children and our teenagers. And one of the things that I really want to push back on this idea is it doesn't have to be hopeless. I think what you were getting to in your answer in that we have to do better is that, um, you know, one adult can make a significant difference. You are absolutely correct. And um, although it's not the same as a peer relationship, mm -hmm. we can have a positive impact right now on the life, on the life of a child. Just last night in my own local church, I, I serve as a fill-in teacher. I don't have a full-time class that I lead on Wednesday <laughs> nights at my congregation. I'm just present. If they need me, they need me. And last night, they came to me apologetically and said, do you mind to go be a teacher to one kid? And, uh, of course, I was thrilled. Yeah. Absolutely. So we can all make an impact. Because we know that's never a waste. Right. We know that those are real God moments right. when He's allowed us the privilege Mm -hmm. of a one-on-one -on -one experience with a child. And I, we also know, yeah, I love one of my favorite quotes is uh, Wes Stafford, every child you encounter is a divine appointment. Yeah. And so, um, you know, even, I think when we talk about fellowship and community, we think about the whole body, which that is in, mm -hmm. involved there. Yeah. But um, also, I'm, Scripture does not negate the power of just two of us together. Mm -hmm. And uh, the influence that that can have. So I love I love that idea, and I agree wholeheartedly. We've got to do better. So again, most of our audience are children's ministry leaders. So how do you think? And you've shared a little bit on this. How do you think we can better teach and model model fellowship and community? What opportunities should we be providing them? Well, I think perhaps preparing them for life life circumstances while transitioning into the next level of influence and participation. Perhaps encouraging the skills and giftings that are recognizable, uh, giving support and opportunities to grow in those areas. Uh, again, from experience in Bakersfield when we were pastoring, 
um, one of the things that we didn't have at that local church when we moved in was a good ministry of music. Mm-hmm. And but we what we did have was a bunch of kids, young kids, taking band in school. We had maybe three or four adult age, high school age that had been in band. They played trumpets. They played. All of them played different. I mean, we had everything from a piccolo to a trombone. You know, we had some big... And um, so we began on Wednesday nights before Wednesday night service, an hour before service. Anybody that had an instrument could show up. And if you showed up for practice, you could play in church. And like that meant the very beginning Mm -hmm. when a child knew one note to play. And you'd say to that child, you absolutely can play this Sunday, play that one note, just not real loud. And that way you are, you become part of the whole, part of the chorus. And eventually that band went to like a 22-piece band where at Christmas time we'd be, we'd be asked to come into hospitals and places to play Christmas concerts. And um, they all were able to join and participate at their level but then it prepared them for the next level of influence, the next level of gifting, the next level of participation. Um, and that became a really big deal in how they approached other parts of their life. I can do what I know to do, which will lead me into understanding more later. And so as they graduate from a toddler's level in, in the nursery where Sean and Stephanie teach into the next class, into that next room, and from that room to the next room. Each part is having someone uh, recognize the giftings and encourage those giftings to come so that at the next level they go in with that part of participation to, to use their giftings. And um, having an element of gifting not shared before. I remember when um, uh, Lamb, Ben Lamb, started playing the violin at church, and everybody's like, the "Violin at church." I mean, that kid is great now. How many years has he been doing that? And now, oh my goodness, we'd miss him so terrible. <laughs> it's beautiful. What a beautiful thing that he offers. That started when he was a kid, mm-hmm. learning to play a very sad, shaky violin. Mm-hmm. But now he he engages at the highest level of worship. Mm-hmm in church because someone came along and encouraged that little bit of gifting. The key is encouragement with the understanding that that this is a God-given and for a purpose opportunity that will become more and more evident the older you get. I think that's part of it, at least, Joy. It's not the whole answer, but... I realize that I'm talking so much that we're running out of time. No. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a minute to think. I wonder if either of you have examples of opportunities that were given to you as a child. I'll, sh- I'll go first, yeah. and then if you have one, you can share. But most, uh, I, I have two favorite things that come to my mind. Uh, many years as a child, uh, when I was a child in the Church of God of Prophecy, we had Children's Day every day, every year, excuse yeah. me. And um, I can remember the, uh, because most of the time, back during the, there was this time called the 80s when I was I a was kid. not around. I know you were not alive. But in the 80s. In the great days, Joy. <laughs> in the great days. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about intergenerational yeah, or no. worship together. So we had children's church separate all the time. 
But I remember annually we would have Children's Day where we would come together and they'd celebrate the kids, and I usually got to preach the sermon that day. And so for me, that... Because you were the pastor's kid? That was it. That was it. And my mom was in charge. So, <laughs> uh, uh, But I, those memories stand out in my mind as times that were significant that I was able to really contribute and be a part of that community. And the other, I love to share this story, and um, I don't think it's too off topic, but um, as a kid... We had quarterly business conferences in the church, too. Yes, and, we did. And every director would get up and share a report, women's ministry. Yes, At that time, it was CPMA and, you know, all of these ABM and all these uh, acronyms in the Church of God of Prophecy. And I remember going, because I went to business meetings, um, and they were not before or after service. They were on a different night of the week. And I wanted to be able to give a report so, of course, my dad was my pastor, and I said, I, w- I, want, I want a job, not just any job. I want one that contributes that I can get up and read a report every quarter. And dad said, I have the perfect job for you. And uh, he made me the free literature representative. And so that meant that I filled the track. You know, I got to get up in, in the front of the church to promote that ministry wow. and then read my quarterly report. But, you know, those little things... Uh, giving me those opportunities to serve beyond just the the fellowship hall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think connected me to the larger community and made me have a sense of value, of importance. Yeah. And uh, I think they were the seeds to, you know, now 30 years of ministry in the church. So do you have one, Joy? Yeah, the violin story kind of resonated with me a little bit. Growing up, the tambourine was a big... Oh, yeah. A spot to fill at our church. And I just remember there was always one tambourine, but then there got to a point where this man at our church, he went and bought probably five or six different tambourines. And we, all the kids that wanted to, we had a spot and we got to play the tambourine. And I just remember feeling so valuable in that, that I got to go on stage and <laughs> be part of the, the music. And so, yeah, I just, that sticks out in my brain. Mm. Probably don't want me playing tambourine today, but... <laughs> but now you play the drums. Now I do. Would you consider There's that my a percussive. promotion? Yes. Okay, wow. And preparation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Learning the beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have two. Uh, one was, uh, as a kid, I wanted to sing in the adult choir. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody was really happy about me singing in the adult choir, but because my mom played the piano, mm-hmm. your dad was the pastor, mm-hmm. Uh, they did let me come in for a choir practice, and they sat me beside Needy Weeks, who was the lead alto. And they said, everything she sings, that's what you sing. And she did so good in teaching me that alto that even today, when there's and no matter what song there is, I never hear the lead. I immediately hear the alto, the harmony to it. And so mm. that was really sweet. And they didn't do it just for me, although they let me begin that process. They did incorporate other children into the adult choir. The second one is, I hadn't thought about it for years, but as you were talking, I remember my pastor went to the bank and got um, a dozen silver dollars. And on one Sunday morning, he said, I believe the Lord has prepared 12 people that are going to come and take the silver dollar and this week um, increase it and bring back a fruit. And for next Sunday, and then we'll give the silver dollar to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the first that responded. And when I went up, I, I think I may have been eight or nine years old. I mean, really, really young. Mm-hmm. 
And I went up for my little silver dollar. I knew that I knew exactly what I was going to do. And when I went up to the pastor, I heard people behind me going, "Oh, you've got to be kidding." You know, that kind of And I was so thankful that my pastor gave me that silver dollar. And I went home and every day I made I bought a package of brownies for 30 cents. Made a box of brownies and went through my neighborhood selling them. Made, you know, I don't know four or five dollars every day and by the end of the week I turned in an offering of about fifty dollars wow. and that was a big deal and I may have even been the top <laughs> gleaner that I mean not just gleaner child yeah. but the top and I hadn't thought of that for years but look at what God was doing even sure. then and where I find myself today mm-hmm. still taking silver dollars <laughs> still finding resources to support ministry sure. ministries. I love that wow well as we approach the end of our time together um you know i don't know kathy payne are you a are you an extrovert or an introvert (laughs) you know you would think that i'm an extrovert and um but i'm really quite comfortable (laughs) in solitude well i thought that was a that i know that that's the opposite of what we've talked about here in fellowship um I, i probably i've taken all of those tests I think you I think you learn pretty quickly how to how to fake those tests and how to come out you know perfectly right with Jesus sure. in the center. Um, and I think for most part when I'm leading, I am very extrovert oriented. Um, but my favorite times, and I'm not sure I could even say this on a Church God of Prophecy podcast, is when I can slip to a beach all by myself for hours on a day and just enjoy everything that God has given me. In the mornings I have the best time in the drive from way out in the woods to the office and this morning, even this morning I said, you know, that wonderful line from the Disney uh, movie, the sky is talking to me. (laughs) Just the beauty. I enjoy. I'm perfectly comfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got I got COVID when I was in the house alone and did wonderful. Mm -hmm. I preferred that I was there by myself. John was taking care of his dad at the time, and I was so glad that I was completely by myself. I very much consider myself an introvert. People, because of what I do, don't necessarily agree with that all the time, but I'm the same as you. And, and, uh, you know, some of... uh, uh, I'm fairly new in this role, perspective-wise. And, um, well, in this international yeah, role, but not certainly not in the ministry. So when I leave, when I leave a training or a teaching, my favorite times are those mm-hmm. on the plane, alone, <laughs> not having to speak, and just thinking about what God did. But so, of yeah, I think happened. for some of us, when we think about our tendencies, extrovert, introvert, um, we think about this idea of community versus solitude, which solitude was another spiritual discipline right. that we'll be doing a podcast on, and we did at ICM. So, um, but I do think sometimes we maybe lean toward one or the other. So yeah. how... What is your opinion on, on that? Is it important that we have a balance or walk where we feel most comfortable? What do you think? I think we need to balance in every area. Mm-hmm. And I think I do think that we have greater leanings to, to one or another. Um, I wonder sometimes, was I destined for leadership? Or did I see an opportunity and the Lord gave me my choice? You know? Um, 
I think you do have leanings of, I do enjoy a good crowd. I enjoy laughing. I enjoy being part of a community where I know I'm an accepted part of that community. Uh, so probably I have that leaning toward that. If, I, if I'm going to have a party or be by myself, I, I probably would choose the party. But I also <laughs> need the balance yes. of remembering who I am in Him, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily being... You're always judged by the people around you, but it's important to remember that you not not read the um, don't read your own press <laughs> and also don't be so affected by what you hear others say about you mm-hmm. negatively and positively and I've heard both uh, I've probably heard more negative than I have positive which also has impact in your life or it's what, that's at least what you remember the most I've it is always what you yeah. remember the most and you know when you hear the good you kind of let it roll over you you don't yeah. listen to what's said. But when you hear the negative, you do have the tendency to focus in on what was said. And then you have this evaluation. I remember, I don't share this very often, but perhaps it's okay if I share it now. When the Lord brings it to my attention, I do. It's always painful. In, in a heated conversation with someone, um, and it came out of nowhere, I, I happened into this thing and suddenly I was in a heated conversation and so I said something that I thought was kind and the person turned around and said to me that's why everybody that knows you despises you mm-hmm. it took my breath away and for about a year and a half I walked in this cloud of believing that everyone despised me and how could I be such a despicable person that everybody that knew me could despise me? It was, a, it was a terrible, devastating time. And I'll never forget how I came out of it. Um, I was in a nation, believe it or not, and they were singing this song, and I didn't know the English of it for a while, but when I heard the English of it, I fell apart. And it was this, you're a good, good father, that's who you are. And then when it came to this line, and I am loved by you, that's who I am. It was such a wonderful redefining of um, who we are. I think, I think we like to tend to move into, are you an extrovert, are you, an, are, you, are you this, are you this? This is how I've come to identify myself because it's how I survive today. Who I am is that I'm loved by him. That's who I am. Whether I do well or whether I crash and burn, I'm still left by him. Sure. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest lesson I can give to any children's ministers that I know. Never forget who you are in him. And that whether you do well mm-hmm. and he stands in the background applauding what you have done by his grace and with his anointing, or whether he's picking you up off the ground saying, you'll have another chance, it'll be okay. He still is the one who loves us and uh, created us. And that's what we operate in and that's how we operate. Thank you for sharing. Um, We're getting ready to wrap 
our time up together. Before we do that, though, we did want to ask you one final question, and we wanted to know if you had any books or resources, maybe even sermons or podcasts that you maybe can think of that you would like to share with the I audience. I had none. What? <laughs> I had the Bible. <laughs> I, had to I did lean into the Bible a lot. I also did some work looking online. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean gave me some things by Foster. It's Stephen Foster, isn't it? Richard. Richard Foster, these these wonderful books that you have to take when you go to a Christian yeah. um, university, you know, for for solitude and devotional, uh, they were good. He also had a couple of other resources. Really, I did have to just kind of dig into the Word. Mm-hmm. Um, and while this was not a message, it absolutely was a class. I did teach. I didn't go into my preacher's voice. <laughs> I did have fun in this class. I really did have fun in this class. Um, yeah, I think Sean was the better one for resources. Oh, I don't I know. I even said that. I don't know. The, I, I did actually say, you know, the psalmist yeah. is so good with these kind of things. But And Richard Forrest, uh, Foster in his books. But I know that they have them out there. <laughs> oh, right. so, I'm so sorry. Do your homework, guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, uh, well, thank you for this. You know, I think it's such an important topic. One of the things that I... Um, I love the church. Yeah. I love the church I'm a part of. And I Our love, community. I love the larger body of Christ. Yeah. And one of the things that is so sad to me is when someone gets so hurt that they um, recoil from fellowship away from. or community. And so um, I do think this is an... When you understand the importance of this discipline... Um, and you balance that with realizing we're in community with human beings mm-hmm. and struggles happen. And, and all obstacles. of us are imperfect. But I, I, I do hope that our listeners, certainly moving forward, our children's ministers who are associated with us find value and are intentional, that word you use, joy, are intentional to seek to be a part of their community and their fellowship. And so... Uh, so before you close, I'll tell you one story. Yeah. Since I've, I've tried to keep that. Um, it's it's a wonderful story about a man. It's a true story. I know the names. I don't have them on my head because I hadn't planned to share it. A man left church one Sunday morning and just simply said, I'm not coming back. I'm not part of the community anymore. I, I don't need this. There are plenty of preachers on TV. I can listen I can, I can do my, I'm not coming back. So the pastor went to visit him, and uh, he went in, the, and he met him at the door. He said, Pastor, you're welcome to come in, but I'm not coming back to the church. Not. So no need to even say anything to me. He went in, they both sat down, and there was a fire in the fireplace. The pastor sat there and quiet for a bit, and, and he stood up from his seat. Many of you have heard this story. It's a real story. It really happened. Um, he got up, and he removed an ember from the fire and set it on the hearth. And when he first removed it from the raging fire, uh, it still burned for a while. But as they sat there and continued to look, the ember did go out, stopped smoking, and finally became uh, darkened with no light, no fire in it at all. And then the pastor went up, picked it up with the tongs again, and put it back in the fire, and it became part of the raging fire again. And uh, walked to the door and the man followed him and he said I'll see you next Sunday pastor <laughs> and that that is the truth it's easy to recoil especially when we're wounded 
But it is when we're together that there is that fire, that precious fellowship in, in the community. Well, again, we want to thank Dr. Kathy Payne for her time today. I want to mention, if you want to find out more about Global Missions Ministries in the Church of God of Prophecy, you can visit globalcogop.org. That's globalcogop.org. That link is on our show notes for today. Also, just want to mention two more resources from Children's Ministries that go along with this topic. One is a free five-lesson course called Membership Matters. Yes. Children can be covenant members of the Church of God of Prophecy, and this is a wonderful free resource that you can download. There's a teacher's guide and a student manual uh, that you can do five lessons with your kids, hopefully leading them up to becoming covenant members of the Church of God of Prophecy. When did you become a member? When did I become a member? I was eight years old. I was as well, Joy. Thirteen. Very important. It is important. And uh, then we also want to mention, we're really excited, I mentioned it earlier in my own story, we are relaunching Children's Day uh, in the Church of God of Prophecy, and so you can visit the Children's Ministry website for more information about this uh, this year's program and how to download the program guide and supplemental resources to do your own Children's Day. Our suggested date is June the 12th, but you can do it any day that you'd like uh, this coming year. So again, thank you, Dr. Payne. Thank Thank you, Joy, for the opportunity. Thank you, Brother Sean. We enjoyed being with you today. We hope that you'll join us next month. Our next speaker will be Dr. Brian Sutton talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children.